stuff as it pertains to Denver, Colorado, the most bovine-friendly city between Commerce City and Bible Park. My name is Josh, and I'll be your host tonight. At least I'll try. Tonight, we bring you Killing the Cowtown, depictions of Denver in film, literature, and music. And get this, we're recording live before an audience in the Denver Film Center's Henderson's Lounge. Don't believe me, audience? Little noise. You hear that? We're not lying. And we're streaming live at DenverDiatribe.com. At least we hope so. But the people that are trying to listen there don't know anyway. (laughs) Still, hot damn. We really got our shit together for this. We've got co-hosts Vanessa, Joel, and Ron moderating panels with notable locals from luminary orgs like Open Air 1340 the Onion AV Club, and Real Social Scene, to name a few, all trying to dissect the cow in Denver. We've got musical guest C1 from Food Chain and DJ Leland, and we've got love and hate from audience members. Before I introduce the panel, we need to send a huge thanks at the top to our sponsors, Denver Film Society, Free Speech TV, Novo Coffee, and Blue Channel. Now, handing it over to Joel, whose panel of nerds will try to deconstruct the Denver music sound. Joel? Hello? Have a little musical intro. Everybody, how's everyone doing? Hey, every Joel. Nice. nice. So what you just heard, you just heard a snippet of what's called uh, the Denver Sound. It was a song by Slim Cessna's auto club called uh, Jesus is in my body and my body has let me down. How many people have heard of the quote unquote Denver Sound? Okay. Well, it's a good thing you're here tonight, then, because you're going to learn all about it. Uh, what the Denver Sound is, how it came about, whether it's accurate, and how it's changed over the years. Now, I don't know the answer to any of these questions, but I have some people here who hopefully do. I'm going to start down at the end of my music panel with uh, Tom Murphy, a uh, historian by training and longtime Westward music writer. He's played in bands like uh, Dark Orchid. 900 Ancestors, and is currently with Pythian Whispers. He's also working on a book right now about uh, Denver's underground music scene from 1975 to the present. So everyone say, everyone say hi to Tom. Hey, Tom. Hello. Next, we have Alicia Sweeney, Denver's longtime indie radio sweetheart. You can hear Alicia on Colorado Public Radio's 
new music station, open air 1340 a.m., Monday through Friday from 6 to 10 a.m. Everyone say hi to DJ Alicia. Hi, guys. Hey, Alicia. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Finally, we have Matt Schild, music writer for uh, the AV Club, formerly editor of the online music magazine Aversion.com, and bassist in the local band Morning Clouds. Bassist. I knew I was going to say bassist. We were talking about it. Oh, no, it's all coming back. Who is this guy on the music panel? I can't even say bassist. Yes, this, this is why that we have music experts and not just me. So you guys, anyways, the Denver Sound. What is the Denver Sound? I didn't know this existed until I talked to you guys. So someone tell me what, what the Denver Sound is. Do you want to start, Tom? Oh, I'm somebody who completely disagrees with the concept. So maybe so I maybe you shouldn't out. describe it because you'll say it's shit. Well, in a nutshell, it was in the early '90s. A band called the Denver Gentlemen kind of formed with Slim Cesta and a guy named David Eugene Edwards, and they kind of combined some alt country with some really dark kind of gothic y flavors and kind of became its own thing here in Denver and they split off and started a couple different bands. One of them was Sixteen Horsepower and then Slim Cessna's Auto Club. And from then the sound kinda spread out. And it's still kind of a trademark sound to Denver. If you Google the Denver sound, I'm sure you'll hear something about one of those bands. It's kind of really dark. So if you would like describe the Denver sound in like one sentence, like how would you describe what it is? I'd call it really dark country music with kind of an emphasis on spirituality and mortality and kind of country living, I guess. And this kind of put Denver's music scene kind of on the map in the 1990s, would you say? To a degree. I think it was still kind of a music nerd type of thing where it was pitchfork and, you know, no depression were the only people really covering that kind of thing. It wasn't really tremendously popular in the mainstream. So it was really this kind of, this kind of separate thing. More or less, okay. yeah. It's all part of the underground, I would say. Uh, some people think that the Denver sound is like jam bands, and you're like, okay, okay. Some people think that it's uh, punk rock bands. Mm, that's the Boulder sound. Yeah. <laughs> but, the, but the Denver that I've uh, supported over the last uh, decade plus and going sh to shows to are an eclectic mix of bands that you would just consider bands from the underground, whether it's a... Uh, whether it's an electro rock group or uh, or, or 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 an Americana group, mm -hmm. so you've always kind of found it kind of diverse. Yeah, absolutely. And there's the Elephant Six Collective that in the '90s that was also a big part of. I don't know if it's the Denver sound, but of the underground sound, I would say for sure. What is the Elephant Six Collective? Yeah, uh, Elephant Six Collective was something started by, pretty much started by a band called Apples and Stereo. And with their friends from Athens, Georgia, like uh, Nutramilk Hotel and Olivia Tremor Control, did this kind of Beatles slash indie pop, you know, beat happening mixed with psychedelia kind of thing. And one of the classic records of the 90s is In an Airplane Over the Sea by Nutramilk Hotel, which was the subject of a 33 and a third book. And that was pretty commercially successful. What was the name the of that 90s. album again? In an Airplane Over the Sea. Yeah. I think we have a song from that. I'm guessing that this crowd is awesome enough that they know <laughs> who Neutral Milk Hotel are. And this is the room one afternoon I knew I could love you And from above you how I sank into your soul Into that secret place where no one dares to go And your mom would drink until she was 
So, I mean, it sounds like, like all three of you guys are willing to admit that, that there isn't just one quote-unquote Denver sound. And the question that I think that, we, that we, we talked a bit about before this was, why does Denver have to have one sound? I mean, why, I mean you don't talk about like, the New York sound or the Los Angeles sound. You, you identify the places with, with these big, vibrant music scenes, have all sorts of things. Is it something about kind of Denver's kind of lack of a good self-image that says, well, we have to define ourselves as like the jam band scene or, or this or this kind of Americana, like, gothic thing going on. I mean... Well, I think it's because there's not really a big in- entertainment industry presence here in Denver, whereas in New York and L.A. and places like that, all the different bands kind of bubble to the surface and get attention. Where, you know, for Denver or Seattle or Omaha, there's been all these regional scenes that are kind of com- compartmentalized or something like that, where the national press zones in on just a very small part of it and kind of makes it a caricature or a really simple representation of what's going on at the time. So journalists are just stupid? Pretty much, yeah. Okay, and well, we, la- we can get and, behind and that. And lazy, let me add lazy. Very, yeah. Oh, very yeah, lazy. Clearly lazy. Yeah, so you guys would kind of agree with that too? That is just because that is just folks like reaching to kind of, to kind of pigeonhole a, ci- a city? Would you guys say that? Yeah, I mean, like Denver, like Chicago, I, as some of you may know, is called Second City for a reason. Yeah. And they don't really have that low self-esteem syndrome like we still have here in Denver. Like, oh, nothing good could come from... I remember before I got into local music, I didn't think local music could come from here or anything that good could come from here. Really? Uh, uh, yeah. And oddly enough, the first local band I saw was 16 Horsepower, and I hated them because they were a country and I couldn't stand it. <laughs> but I love them now. But I think a lot of people don't know that there's stuff from here that's interesting and I think it's a matter of that's what I try to do is educate people on a broad spectrum of things to say there's a lot of stuff here but I still think that the phenomenon still exists that people in Denver don't know that stuff like you know 16 Horsepower which is an amazing band happened yeah. or Denver Gentlemen you know like even less so or even Apples and Stereos I talked to someone from New York who was like Apples and Stereos from Denver this was 10 years or 13 years ago and I was like yeah they're from here what do you you know yeah. stuff does come from here do you think it's changing? Do you think that people are starting to recognize Denver as a vibrant scene? And do you think actually the scene is changing and, and becoming stronger? Yeah, I think that uh, a lot of music blogs that are, that are online are supporting a lot of uh, Denver bands like Tennis or Gauntlet Hair and, and Devochka, of course. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's helping to put us on the map a little bit. Although I was a little surprised that uh, when Stereo Gum... <laughs> which is a music blog did a did a feature on the the Denver sound that they talked about Denver and all these great jam bands from Denver and it was really confusing to me because uh, that's not uh, that's not how I characterize my Denver. Well, do you think that's just because of the part of the perspective of whoever wrote that? I mean, if I was going to write about the Denver sound, I wasn't going to try very hard. Right, right, right. I would it, probably write about the punk rock of the '90s and stuff that I grew up listening to and wouldn't even think to mention jam bands. I think that's kind of a writer bias more than anything else. Right. So what it seems to me like what what you folks are saying is not a problem with the music scene here. It's a problem with people like us, the tastemakers and the journalists who just aren't kind of peeling back the layers well enough to actually find what's really going on. And I think kind of speaking to that, the last few minutes before, before we have to wrap up, I wanted to kind of throw throw it open to you guys and recommend a few a few local um, 
up-and-coming bands that you would recommend. And Matt, I want to start with you. Okay, the band I'd like to recommend would be uh, Sour Boy Bitter Girl from Fort Collins. It's kind of the vehicle for a singer-songwriter, but he's got a pretty crack band behind him. He's always got different people playing with him, but they're always really great musicians. And I mean, they can get away with the strength of the music alone, but he's also a really strong lyricist, and he writes these really complicated, almost concept records that, you know, you can peel back layers and layers and layers of which you've been listening to for a real long time. Alyssa, do you have a couple bands you want to recommend? Yeah, I, I'm into lots of bands, and I feel fortunate enough that I get to talk about uh, great local bands on the radio. And I have a crush on this band that's in high school. They're called Sauna. And the thing that amazes me about Sauna is they make this, this great music, and they're only 17 years old, so they have their whole musical career ahead of them. And I just feel like these guys really get it, and, and I find their... Uh, their pop music pretty charming. Are we gonna take a listen? They have a cute song called Glitter Party. And uh, oddly enough, their first show was at Bar Bar of all places. But, yeah, uh, not even old enough. To. I was there. And their parents come to the shows and they Aww. and they talk about like, oh I'm so glad that they're they're playing this song. It's a new one. <laughs> love the surf rock sound of that song and and the the dual girl harmonies in it and I, it, there's just a lot of charm and especially seeing these uh, 17 year old kids up on stage is uh, is pretty great in fact they got to open up for B52s when B52s uh, played at the Ogden in November which which is incredible that's so um, cute yeah absolutely do you have any other recommendations yeah i also like uh, this band that's been around in Denver for a long time, and they used to go by the Love Letter Band, and they're called Bad Weather California. And this is a band that I've been a long time cheerleader, cheerleader of, and uh, just within this past year, they signed on to Family Tree Records, which is a national indie label. And I'm just so happy for them because I hope this uh, puts them to a point where they can just do music full time. Now, uh, Tom, I assume you're not going to be recommending some country music. No, for I, mean, us. I actually like country a lot now. But, oh, you uh, do? You've yeah. changed. Denver's Red Cloud. Denver's broken me. you. Red Cloud. Oh, they're done. Okay. They're so, no but do you have some recommendations? Yeah, um, I could have picked. I mean, I like. I don't know how many hundred bands from Denver, but I'll go with something more obscure and experimental because that's what I'm closest to now these days. Anyway, that's a lie. I'm close to a lot of stuff, but. Anyway, I'm in that scene, and one of my favorite bands is a band called Echo Beds, who make a lot of their own instruments in some ways. And They uh, make their own instruments. Or like they take some other instrument and use it in a way that you're not supposed to. see them perform at? Oh, you, you would see them at like Rhinoceropolis or the Mercury Cafe. 
I mean, the Sonic Club doesn't really tell you how okay. visceral it is. It's a very physical band. It's not just this weird noise coming at you. They're kind of scary, actually. And, uh, which is why I like they them. They sound a bit scary. I, I play scary music, yeah. too, so that's why I like them a lot. Uh, and the Kevin Costner Suicide Pact, one of my favorites. They started out as a pop band called Fellow Citizens out of Boulder, like indie pop. And their side project was this really bizarre, evolving, ambient guitar band. And no synthesizers involved, just guitars, and you can't tell. Yeah, awesome. their music is pretty immersive. It's not just, you can hear it. it anyway, yeah. yeah, you should check them out. Nice. Well, thanks, guys. I want to thank my panel members, uh, Tom, Matt, and DJ Alicia, for talking about the Denver sound. It was quite educational, entertaining. I'm going to throw it back to host Josh. It's tough to, it's tough to do it in 10 minutes. It's, it's tough to talk about the Denver sound or if there is a Denver sound because, of course, we all, uh, we all have our own depictions of it. But it's, it's an exciting time for Denver and music, or I feel like, and I feel all three of us panelists are really lucky to, to be involved in, in periodicals and a radio station that supports our local community. So check out The Westward and, and read the great music reviews in the AV Club and listen to Open Air, and you'll get a taste of what's going on in our community because it is more... Uh, it is beyond a, a cold play sounding band or a uh, or or, or Vochka, who whom I adore and I love playing on the radio but um, th those don't have to be the few defining bands of our of our cool city definitely thanks guys
We're lucky enough to have on hand Kenny B of Westward Comic Fame. His depictions of Denver through his art often take stabs at public figures and lambasts Colorado culture, if there is such a thing. If Denver had a comic laureate, we'd vote for Kenny. Thank you. Folks listening right now to the taped podcast are kind of screwed, but. Well, let's check out some of his work as, as Kenny B. describes it. Hi. Hi. <laughs> this is the first time I've ever done this. I've always hidden behind the, uh, the pen. I started cartooning uh, Denver in 1982 when I started working at Westward, and I'm going to go through a, a series of slides tonight of how I've depicted Denver through the uh, 30 years and uh, how difficult it's been and uh, what a dismal failure I have been at doing it. <laughs> I, I've always, I, oh well, we'll get on with it. This first uh, slide is a, um, in 1983, um, I didn't really know how to draw, so I thought if I drew everything, no one would notice. And uh, so this was my, I lived close to this intersection, and I was fascinated with it. And uh, it pretty much is just that part of the city with uh, everything I could see in it and uh, bad jokes along the way. The story, it, it actually went with the story. It says, can you spare some change? Because that was at the time they were going to do a renovation of Colfax and um, They've probably done a renovation of Colfax every five years since then, and uh, there's a couple more coming up of that. But this was the start. In, I think this was from 1986. This was for the best of Denver, and this was the opening page of this. It was called the survival section, and I called it Rush Hour in a Cow Town. I lived just in the Highland neighborhood, and this was my view when I walked down to the Westward offices every day. This is what I saw. And there, I didn't have a camera at the time, so I sat down over a course of uh, a couple weeks and just, this was drawn with a Bic pen and, uh, for the background, and the foreground was drawn with rapidographs. And um, kind of keep this picture in mind because the next series of slides... Um, relate to it. In 1994, I was asked to draw Denver by a community orchestra, and they would set it to music. So I thought, I have to, I have to depict Denver as musicians would see it. So I thought, what I'm going to do is draw it like music, and I will, for all the people, pedestrians, bicycles, and cars. Those were the notations, and those were for the staffs. They asked me to do six drawings. I called it for a suite for cars, but this was the six drawings that I did, the next slide. <laughs> and I drew it like sheet music. 
And this is like rush hour in a cow town, but only with staffs, with those notations of cars. This is the Valley Highway. Downtown, Coors Field is over here. Uh, Elitches. Staffs going up for the buildings downtown, for the roads, and those notations were on there. And the six drawings is divided into six things. I finished this thing and I thought, nobody besides me knows what this mess is. So I redrew it for what it looks like for real. And this was an update of the rush hour in a cow town, but I actually put cars. And this kind of shows the, prog the uh, progress, this, the difference between 10 years of drawing. This is much tighter. I learned how to use a pen in 10 years. <laughs> Several pens, actually. And uh, those were the six drawings. Sadly, the um, orchestra broke up right after this because they hated it. They tried playing the, the music that I had written, and it was really noisy. It sounded really interesting, but half of the orchestra just wanted to do Mozart and uh, stuff that they were familiar with. This was The conductor was pushing them too far with the, the project, but it was fun for me. Um, it really <laughs> took four months to do the drawing, but it, uh, it was fun. Other ways I... This is Colfax again. This is 19, the mid-90s, and I went, uh, went on a motorcycle with Robin Chotsinoff she wrote about Colfax, and I just sketched. And the, this drawing was just sort of an amalgamation of what Colfax is from my day on the street. Mostly signs, old homes that had little shopettes built onto the front of them, all the way from Aurora to Lakewood. And then every time she stopped, it was always at a street, she was interviewing somebody, and I would just draw characters. And so I did this thing next to it, and I called it Hairstyles of Colfax. And it was just, at every, at every street, it was, I, I picked a person and I sketched them, and they sort of were parts of, illustrations for her story. And we had done it because it was the 40th anniversary, I mean the, uh, I don't know what anniversary, it was another renovation plan for Colfax. And just... <laughs> I don't always depict the city, the material city. I pick the characters in it as well. And um, <laughs> I've used, wait, Willie Warchest was, um, was Wellington Webb, and I was sort of comparing him to Willy Wonka. And instead of making candy, he was promising everybody all these projects, and then his, war, his, his campaign chest was huge, and he didn't need it. He was so popular, but he was just collecting all this money Passed all these bond issues that made uh, people who had money in Denver very rich. And so uh, the, the rest of the cartoon was just, I rewrote the, the song The Candy Man with uh, different lyrics to uh, express this. And that's his wife, Wilma. I showed her as Evita um, <laughs> before the crowds in another cartoon. With Bill Owens, I took a different sort of stand on him. I didn't use famous movies or anything. I depicted him as sleazy characters. His, the way he dealt with education funds, I, I depicted him as a person who defaces books in the library. And uh, then I said that Denver was such a sexy city, it forced him into divorce. And um, here, he, here he is as the love gov uh, entertaining at the uh, governor's mansion. Many other characters, John Caldera, Independence Institute, um, 
had to depict him as a drunk who's always shooting off his mouth, and then our lovely governor as the St. Pauli girl. <laughs> oh, you can't see this one too well. This was one of my most dismal failures. Um, it was... <laughs> It was the Colorado Rockies, and I love baseball cards, and I wanted to, at the same, when this, I would do this, it was all the, uh, this explosion of fashion designers in Denver, and I thought, I'm going to draw baseball cards, but instead of drawing the Rockies, I'm going to draw them in dresses of Colorado designers, and I call it the Colorado Frockies. And so there was a different frock every week, and I did like the 36-man roster or something, but they're all there, and it was a dismal failure because people who love sports thought I was making fun of their heroes, and all the dress designers were pissed off that I didn't draw their dresses right or use the right colors. <laughs> but I had to use a lot of purple because that's the Rockies' colors. And uh... <laughs> The other thing that got me in a lot of trouble was the invasion of the bike monsters. I did the six types of common Denver bike riders and um, made fun of them all. And um, while I was drawing it, I was watching an endless series of Godzilla movies. And, uh, <laughs> and I didn't quite know how to draw the, the, the bike monsters. And then it kind of dawned on me to, to sort of make them like Godzilla. For each of these, I had sort of basic characteristics, most monstrous behavior, um, what they wore, writing style, how they stopped at a stoplight. Or, thank you, the, the fixie pixie, where it's a, it's a crime to touch your foot to the ground. Um, <laughs> at one point, I got so bored at Westward of drawing the governor and John Elway and all the regular people, I, I made this bold statement that it was my goal to draw everyone in Denver. And um, so I started doing this series called Neighborhood Icon, where I would do a graphic of, uh, there's 76 neighborhoods in Denver. So I would do a graphic for the neighborhood for a t-shirt, and then I would pick a person um, to do a bio. And it took, oh, some of these took 20 hours. And it was, um, I only got 12 of them done before I almost had a nervous breakdown. And so I switched it around to the next project was where I would, I did seed packets for the different Denver neighborhoods. And um, this is um, Capitol Hill, Cannabis Sativa. <laughs> Con Congress Park Cauliflower. I tried to like sort of marry every neighborhood with um, people who live there. Um, or a lot of the times I wanted to pick a landmark from the neighborhood. So that sort of de that's how I picked the vegetable um, of the things. And so that's um, many of the different ways that uh, I spent my time trying to uh, figure out how to draw the city. Thank you so much, Kenny B. He's a Denver treasure. Got some music from DJ Leland, as well as C1 from Food Chain, before our next panel. Enjoy. Good. Yeah. 
Thank you to the Diet Tribe for inviting me out, me and Leland. I'm C1 of Food Chain. I'm a part of a local band here. And this is a little different. I'm normally playing in front of a couple thousand people, but this is a unique group, and I see everybody is watching me over here, so. <laughs> A little shy, but it's okay. It's okay. And uh, Lee asked me to share this song that we did on our first album a couple years ago. We're fairly new, and uh, it's a verse I wrote, and it's called Testify. And I was just uh, basically just testify or witness to what's going on in the world today. You know? And I'm. Uh, Still a little nervous, but uh, waiting for my cue there, and then I'm just gonna go off, you know. Hope I, I hope y'all can keep up with me, you know. And check this out. I swear to tell the truth, and nothing but the truth. May God guide me on the stage, cause living life here is hard. So I struggle for you and go hard. It's a cold world, and most of us scarred. We products of oppression, living under primitive laws in the barrels in the ghettos world life. It's large, witness the crimes committed against us. Who can we trust when they plot and to control and destroy us? We the future, there's hoping I can see it in the youth. Yes, we can, I can see it in you. Spitting truth to power. I'm a threat, so they watching from the towers, and I'm waiting for these cowards. Looking forward to the hour when we stand before the one in his court. I testify against the wicked rulers and a source. Deal with them just, and God we trust. I'm holding on the truth for witness in this lost world, and here to warn you. Thank you. And if I have one, like 40 more seconds, can I say that without the music? One more time. Just spoken word. Okay, I'm gonna say that one more time. That kind of just kind of, you know, gave me, loosened me up a little bit. But I said, uh, I said, I swear to tell the truth, and nothing but the truth. May God guide me on the stage, because living life here is hard. So I struggle for you and go hard. It's a cold world, and most of us scarred. Products of oppression living under primitive laws. In the barrels, in the ghettos, worldwide is large. A witness to crimes committed against us. So who can we trust when they plotting to control and destroy us? We the future. There's hoping I can see it in the youth. Yes, we can. I can see it in you. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. It's DJ Leland and C1 from Food Chain. Food Chain, the entire group. How many, how many of you are there? Eight. Eight. Hello. Is, I mean, they're at the Fillmore, right, opening up for Snoop Dogg on Friday. That's right. We've got our next panel assembled up here. The next panel of literary luminaries, hosted by Diatriber and tonight's producer, Ron Doyle, will explore the idea that Denver is not a cow town, but is the perfect backdrop for weird supernatural craziness, I'm imagining cow zombies. Is that right, Ron? Yeah, that sounds pretty good. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. Let us know about the cow zombies. Okay. Thanks. Hi, everybody. 
Good evening. There's the live crowd. All right. That's what I've been waiting for. So, ladies and gentlemen, my name is Ron Doyle, and I was born in Roswell, New Mexico. That's right. I grew up in a cow town that pretends to be an alien town. And now I live in a town that thinks it's a cow town, but I actually think it's an alien town and a zombie town and a vampire town. And you get the idea. So I have three panelists with me tonight who will help me explore this idea. Mario Acevedo is a Denver-based artist and author of the Felix Gomez horror novels, which chronicle the adventures of an Iraq war veteran turned vampire turned supernatural detective. Oh, yeah. His novels include such titles as Werewolf Smackdown, Jailbait Zombie, and the Nymphos of Rocky Flats. Yeah. Welcome, Mario. Hi. Uh, Corey, Corey Casciato is... See, I butchered it. I, Casciato. You did, did it right before I got the thing. Corey Casciato. Got it. Is a professional <laughs> freelance writer and the Denver Boulder City Editor for the Onions AV Club. He's also the author, author of The Inevitable Zombie Apocalypse, a blog dedicated to the awareness and preparedness in the face of the horrific zombie dystopia in which we will all soon live. Welcome, Corey. And Jared Jakang Mayer, another last name that I like to butcher, is a founding co-host and producer of the Denver Diatribe, technical director for this evening's event, video editor for New Hope 360, and host of the new free speech TV series, Occupy the Media. Jared, more importantly for our discussion, is the creator of the DIA Conspiracy Files, an index of the conspiracy theories surrounding the world's most sinister airport. Welcome, Jared. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with Corey. Uh, what, what do you think makes Denver such an ideal breeding ground for these sorts of supernatural stories? Stephen King knew this. L. Ron Hubbard knew this. What is it about Denver that makes us so weird? I mean, we, we are weird, I guess, it's, is the thing. Um, we have Morlocks that live under the city, um, which you see evidence of uh, whenever the weather gets cold and the steam comes up. That's ah, it's actually Morlock yes. off-gassing. Uh, so <laughs> okay. uh, we're right in the center of the country, which you know means all the, the, the weirdness sort of sinks down from the, the coasts and, and pools here in Colorado. Mm. Um, and, uh, I, you know, we have DIA, which is... Yeah, yeah, what's the, so okay, most folks when they come to Denver, their their the primary experience with Denver is Denver International Airport. The vast majority of the people from around this country that have been to Denver, they've only seen the airport. What and and they don't fully realize the weirdness that is going on there. Jerry, could you give us just a quick little taste of some of the strange things that are going on at our our international airport? Well, I first got interested in the conspiracy theory surrounding DIA maybe four or five years ago because people here in Denver, they recognize the airport as just an airport, but you get outside of Denver, uh, especially in the world of the internets, but also around the country, and DIA, for many, many people around the world, is known as the hotbed for various types of sinister conspiracy theories. And uh, I examined uh, this a number of years ago, like where some of those theories originated from, how they've morphed over time. And because it, as a story for Westward, still probably to this day still garners more still traffic all than anything, sorts of I said, traffic. well, I have to create a blog. Yeah, okay, yes. There, there's <laughs> the web editor. The web editor has confirmed it. 
So I created a, a blog just to like start just capturing all of these various theories as they've changed and morphed over the years and now. So, in, uh, uh, and I've, I'm now known as the world's expert of various DIA right. conspiracy of, theories. Of the so. fact that the airport is run by reptiloid aliens. Yeah, so it spans uh, <laughs> it spans everything from you, you got to listen to this folks. There's an underground base beneath right, the underground IA, military base, of course. Uh, where depending on your perspective is either there as a uh, as a place to as a concentration camp where they're going to keep uh, people that they that the new world order wants to exterminate or on the other hand it's actually a military base where all the world's elite is going to come uh, when the world ends. Some people, some people point to the 2012 Mayan apocalypse. Uh, other people point to other things, uh, and then uh, other thing, other aspects of the airport. People think it's like a Masonic conspiracy. People point to other things, like there's. They point to mostly the artwork in Diaz. evidence that uh, this is actually a place where aliens uh, built this and are going to use this as a as a landing strip, but. Uh, I won't get into too much of it now, but it all comes back to the artwork around DIA, specifically the murals inside the main terminal. And now, since we've been blessed with with the wonderful and beautiful Mustang sculpture, Sitting out there by the lake, yeah. yeah. Luis Jimenez, oh, which has earned so much ire, so much ire. But when I saw that, when it was being erected, and I was out there at the actual uh, uh, dedication ceremony with it, when then Mayor Hickenlooper was dedicating, and I said, "This, this is going to keep me busy for a number of years." <laughs> okay, so so Mario, uh, tell me, why did you decide that your your main character Felix Gomez was going? to why he set up his office in Denver? I mean, why not New Orleans or London or even Chihuahua, Mexico, for that matter? I mean, you know lots of different places. This is not traditionally known as a supernatural place where people would come for his help. Why did you choose Denver? Well, uh, maybe you say, first of all, thank you all for being here tonight. Yay. Give yourselves a round of applause. Um, he introduced me as a resident luminary, and I'm not. I'm up here because it's an election year, and they needed a Mexican. So, oh, yeah. that is not true. And, uh, but also, I'm, I'm also the token old guy. Yeah. And, and I wanted to get some hipster okay, we'll cred. I wanted to be, get some hipster, hipster cred by getting up here. And then Corey goes, you're no hipster. You're too old. You look like the guy who dates my mom. So, <laughs> no, because uh, no, I, I, I live here. I live here. Yeah. Uh, what happened is that for many, many years, I tried to write a serious novel, and nothing happened. So... Um, I was working at Rocky Flats at the time, and I thought, well, you know, that doesn't work. I'm going to write the most ridiculous story I can think of, which is a vampire detective investigates an outbreak of nymphomania at Rocky Flats, <laughs> and that got me published. So there's a lack of weirdness there. And I, I would also like to say that um, um, not only is, is Felix Gomez, my vampire, from Denver, he has an office in the Oriental Theater, okay, on the second floor, right mm. behind the sign. There's so some shady stuff the, going on yeah, in that theater, yeah. with or without vampires, let me tell you. Yeah. So, no, no, but, but well, please go, go on. I mean, uh, that's it. I'm done. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm no literary guy. No, I, no there's, I guess there's a lot of weirdness stuff here going, going on. Yeah, I mean, we do have, we have. I live on Five Points, and there's lots of weird stuff lots there. Lots of, plenty of weird stuff in Five Points. And we've got Rocky Flats. We have the whole theory that Denver, if Washington, D.C. were to fall, we would become the backup capital. We've got all sorts of biotech companies. We we have so many. <laughs> well, you know, we, there's a uh, Denver is a um, 
a lot of paranormal uh, uh, people, uh, what would you call them, enthusiasts here. Uh, uh, MUFON, yeah. the Mutual UFO Network, headquartered here in Colorado. I've interviewed the, uh, several people from that. Very, very nice people. Kind of weird, you know, but... Uh, really, MUFON is located in Colorado? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, they're headquartered here in Colorado. Actually, one of their guys, um, Jason Cordova, who runs the Crypto Science Society at Metro State uh, University at Denver now, um, he uh, wrote us a nice list of top ten paranormal hotspots in Denver, which include Cheeseman Park, uh, the Tivoli. Uh, there's a building on the uh, CU campus that's haunted. So, you know, we've got... Uh, there's Bigfoot. You, we have Bigfoot here. Did you guys... Did you all knew no. that? There's Bigfoot in southern Colorado. Uh, -huh. uh yeah so ghosts I didn't know this. all all this uh, just right here in Colorado you don't have to leave the state for any of your paranormal needs <laughs> perfect okay so so what about what about in literature because we've got we've got Stephen King who obviously loves Colorado i mean he wrote the shining and it, the inspiration for the story was was uh the stanley hotel up in lions in the stand he made it the the motherland where all the people that were good and just in the world they they all five points is good and yes. <laughs> <laughs> they all they all left to five points and a boulder, made it this mecca. Do you, I mean do you think what do you think makes Denver a great locale for literature in general? I mean there's on the road too, one of the, give us a break. If you don't love horror or vampire stories, you gotta respect on uh, Jack Kerouac's on the road. It's a serious piece of literature that is well respected and, and it Denver is a major player in that story. Why do you why do you think Denver and Colorado in general are a great place to write about. Well, the, I, th I think that On the Road is, is probably the one major novel that actually has some setting in Denver, uh, but not enough. And, and, you know, there are other novels that are do, you know, employ Denver as a backdrop, but in my opinion, not nearly enough. No, because, I'd agree with that. Uh, you know, aside from any conspiracy theories or vampires at Rocky Flats, I've always found, you know, Denver's neighborhoods, Denver's history to be, you know, a, just as much of a wealth of uh, storylines and plot lines and characters as New York or New Orleans and uh, other places. So I don't, I don't really think it's, it's necessarily gotten its due. Um, and but if, if through paranormal and super, supernatural activity and uh, post-apocalyptic post nonsense, nonsense, <laughs> if that's if that's going to be our backdrop, then then I'm all for that too. Okay, all right. Um, so let's. We're talking literature here, but how, how realistic? We're, we're running out of time. I just want to ask. I'm going to go one person to person. How, do you really believe any of this stuff could happen, Mario? Of course. That's why I write Corey? Zombie apocalypse for sure. Uh, do I do believe in all the DIA conspiracy theories? That's not a question I ask myself when I'm <laughs> chronicling the, the mythology and the folklore around DIA. I wouldn't want to ruin the fun. Okay. All right. Well, th thank you very much for, for joining us this evening. If you want to learn more about this weirdness, you can check out, you can find Mario at MarioAcevedo.com. Uh, you can find Corey at in InevitableZombieApocalypse.com. And you can find Jared at DIAConspiracyFiles.com. Go check it out, people. There's a lot going on here. So Also uh, find me at Denver.AVClub.com. Oh, right. Well, pays that, the bills, so. that little thing. <laughs> Okay, thanks everybody. Thank, Thank you. you. We've got our next panel coming up, but we've got some uh, more music from uh, C1 and DJ Leland to, to keep you occupied.
on a more humorous note, I got a little story for y'all. I forgot my coat. She could have been my baby girl, but I guess it wasn't meant to be. Now the time we spent it plays back is just a memory. I know that you remember me, how we met, that's right. You was chilling with your girl and I was cooling, getting sore for the love. Friday night, I'm feeling fresh, so clean in the city on some beer, stumbled on this pretty bean. What a scene, a heavy dose, I had a toast, an empty glass out the door, and man, forgot my coat. Forgot my coat. Pretty wild, that pretty, got everything, you know. I was just like, whoa. It's been about a week or two, back and forth texting, impatient, when I get to see you next, so when you get back from Texas, word, that's the plan, but I forgot to ask the question, did she have a man, before I know it, we in the club and it's dirty dance, I'm digging her, she digging me, her eyes so beautifully, watching me, I told her, you're in the presence of royalty, what a night, a good time, and ended peacefully without a kiss, I stepped off, feeling that, can it be, can it be, can it be, can it be? Forgot my coat. Even wild. Couldn't get enough of her. Two nights, yeah, we at it again. With the keys to the city and a little time to spend. From this place to that place. Guest appearance. I know she's loving the attention. It's all in good intentions. She told me she's in the fashion, yeah. I'm into music, it's my passion. Now we vibing on a level that's way above the average. Imagine. We had her pad, I'm crashing. Kept it in my pants, yo. I respect her asking. She asking. She asking. She asking. She asking. I got my coat. Pretty wild. True story. Then it was just a little bit of dancing, you know. Still haven't got a kiss yet, man. Whoa. But I'm thinking, right, that she may be the one. And I'm like, man, don't know. Everything's going smooth. I thought, yeah, too good to be true. Am I caught up for the moment? Because all I see is you. Should I count my kisses? Is it something bothering you? I kind of felt when you left. It was the last time seeing you. I'm catching my breath. Yeah, peep the rest. It's him. I got to move. Yo, I'm feeling my best. I appreciate your time and I wouldn't take it back So I put it in a rhyme and I just look back Got my coat, I got my coat, I got my coat, I got it So the moral of the story is all this happened in my head, you know I got my coat I thought I met a pretty woman, I thought we went out and had fun But really I just forgot my coat <laughs> Yeah, out of toast, out the dough. Thank you again. <laughs> we do want to say that uh, Donnie, Puck, Donnie Brook, Writing Academy, was supposed to be here as advertised, but uh, couldn't make it. So, sorry if that's what you came for. Our final panel tonight, moderated by our fickle wench. Our co-host, Vanessa Martinez, considers reflections of Denver on the silver screen, which is appropriate to our venue. Right, Vanessa? Uh, 
Clearly, yeah, that was obvious. Enjoy. There's this bike race in Colorado. The hell of the West. Right. I don't suppose they uh, told you anything in Denver about the tragedy we had up here during the winter of 1970? I don't believe they did. Got room for one more if you still want to go to Aspen. I'm sick of dealing with your ghetto baby mama. Do you mind? Excuse us. And what the hell are you talking about? Do you mind? Y'all ain't never seen black people on a train? You ain't never heard of the Underground Railroad? It's like you got a ghetto Harriet Tubman. Ooh, let my people go. You heard me? The most lethal contract killer west of the Mississippi. Oh, they say he's clipped over 200 believers. I never robbed no citizen taking a man's watch. It's all stealing. That's the position them New Mexicans took. I had to flee for my life. We're going to the mountains. We're getting out of here. Who are they in here, as you can tell? I heard some of them speaking Spanish, Mr. Morris. Did you see any of them? We speak to you. Who are they? Come on, man. Dreams. You walk dripping from a sea journey on the highway across America in tears to the door of my cottage in the western night. We're there. So we have clearly saved the best panel for last. Um, and this is really, I think, film where we see the most uh, cowtown depiction of Denver, or at least where we consider it. Um, but is that stereotype really the case? Are, are, we really, uh, are we really exhibiting that today in what Denver is producing in film? And here with me to talk about the, that this evening is Robert Rutherford, who writes about pop culture for the Onion AV Club and is a former member of Denver's Donnybrook Writing Academy. He's been a member of numerous local, local bands, including Everything Absent or Distorted and Rabbit as a Sphere. You can find him regularly reading at the Narrator Series every first Wednesday of the month at Paris on the Platte. Thanks for being here, Robert. And also with us this evening is Carla Rodriguez, who is the Director of Audience Development and Social Media for the Denver Film Society. She has seven years of STARS programming under her belt, as well as stage managing for Film on the Rocks, freelance film videography, and other nationally regarded film festivals. You can find her karaoke superstarring at Three Kings, High Dive and Benders, or kick, kicking balls around with the DKBC Denver Kickball Coalition. Thanks for being here with us, Carla. Mm -hmm. So clearly the, the clips that we watched tonight are, are films that most people probably have seen, if not that uh, you've heard about. But uh, one of the things that we started talking about when we discussed having a film panel in terms of depictions of Denver uh, was a, a two types of depictions in Denver, and it came about from Robert. And uh, Robert, I want to talk. I want to ask you to to explain a little bit about uh, the difference between the aesthetic and the character interpretation of film uh, of, of of Denver representations in film. 
Sure. So there's two ways to frame it, and, and the, the first one being the aesthetic, and that's the one that's probably the furthest out of our control, especially when it comes to Hollywood, and, and that's the aesthetic representation of Denver is really generalized more as an aesthetic representation of the state of Colorado, which really is an aesthetic representation of the West, quote-unquote. Um, and that is probably where we, you have the most Cowtown stuff with true grit and, uh, and just being blips or just plot points that don't necessarily represent Denver. Uh, the character representation of Denver is probably a lot cooler and a lot richer, and that's where you have... I mean, generally in films, it's, it's used as a plot point, but we get to claim the beats a little bit. You know, there's, there's an important part of that history. So any film that's been done about the beats, there's generally some mention of Denver, and that's pretty cool. And, of course, we have Red Dawn. Like, we represent for the nation, like, the beautiful loins from which all of our amazing values spring forth and are protected in that movie. Um, <laughs> Wolverines. <laughs> yes. And then, of course, I think as a, as, as a direct correlation to the character representation of Denver is uh, the amazing people who are doing film in Denver, producing film, making film, the amazing talent that has been produced by this uh, town, uh, actors, directors, producers, etc. So I think those are the, those are the two. Right. And that's the framework that we're working from this evening is the, the aesthetic and the character. But Carla, you have a, a unique perspective as somebody who's been going around the country talking about uh, or uh, attending other film festivals and representing Denver. And what do you see, what do you hear from people when you are on these trips, when you're at Sundance, when you're uh, in New York and, and you're talking to people about Denver film? Yeah, and I hope I don't go too deeply, too quickly, that's what she said, um, with this topic. But really what I've noticed is the outside world takes us seriously when we present our work. Um, skills like this and They Killed Sister Dorothy have won audience awards at South by Southwest. We just won an Academy Award, um, Daniel Youngie. With, um, Everybody knows this, right? Yeah. Saving, Saving the uh, Oscar documentary short um, Saving Face, which was locally produced, just won the Academy Award this past Sunday. So I really, the outside world understands what we're about, and they love what we're doing. We have more of an issue with the outside Denver world um, taking the art community and the film community seriously. Yeah. Uh, well, let's talk about the, let's talk about those representations and actually as they present themselves in the art. Mm -hmm. So when you're so, how, how does that work in terms of what we're actually for the rest of us who aren't involved in it every day watching? In terms of in terms of what the way that we're perceived and the way that we or the way that that people are talking about us from the outside and and what people are looking at from the inside. Well, for, question for both of you. Yeah, I mean, as you can see in the character depictions of Denver of Colorado, we're a very scrappy, um, fly by the seat of our pants type. Of people, and I don't think that we necessarily want to lose that side of our personality. Um, the other thing, though, is that we always win. 
to, to Hollywood, to the outside world. And so when, when Denver does succeed at a film festival or you know, a band like The Fray does well, people love what Denver is doing. They want us to do well. We are the underdogs that everybody's rooting for. Um, I think though at the root of it, we need to learn to embrace that within our own community. You look at a city like Austin, Texas, where their, their slogan is keep Austin weird. Um, the entire community is behind it. Robert and I were talking before the, the actual conversation right now about how you know, a soccer mom in Austin, Texas probably has an idea of how awesome the film community is there. But the typical soccer mom in Denver probably has no idea who Daniel Youngi or Alexander Philippe or the Mims Brothers or all these great local film, filmmakers are, who they are. So it's really, you know, I think that there needs to be more of a concerted effort to educate the Denver community about what we're doing. So I, I think maybe what I'm hearing, so Denver needs to overcome its own self-conscious image of mm -hmm. itself. So one of the things that we've been talking about is um, at, at, this comparison to Hollywood. So, or comparisons really to any other film community. And Denver has this tendency, right, to do this with everything. So we're always talking about, um, oh, well, how good is our food scene really in comparison to somebody else? And, and we talked about this at our last live event, actually. Um, we're always making this comparison instead of actually focusing on how genuine Denver is. So we have this problem. But we also have a very vibrant film community inside of Denver. So how do we correct this? Where do we go? I think because most people here, if I'm, if I'm not right, want, want, to, want to see this move forward, but maybe we don't understand that we're really having this kind of self-conscious identity. Uh, the self-conscious issue is, is a big one and persistent. And you know, I think in music, just as it is in, with film, you know, I think that no one in Denver should give a flying fuck what people in Cleveland or Austin think of our music scene or our film scene or anything like. You know, if if some if somebody in Chicago wants to think that Denver is filled with people in ten gallon hats and six shooters and they're fucking morons, and like that's that's just a fact. And and I would say the same about anybody in Denver who assumes makes those sorts of assumptions about people in Los Angeles or San Francisco. It's just. It, it doesn't happen. But when it comes to the quality of our art, that self-awareness is really, is really crippling. And the fact of the matter is, is that we have, there is exciting things happening here. And, and, but if Carla or I had the answer to like how to achieve that critical mass of like that you get enough people to attend movie screenings by local filmmakers, but Carla, you did have an experience the other night. Both of us oh shared gosh. this, so we don't have much time, so I, I want you to, to share what okay. happened when uh, 21 Jump Street crew came through. It was so fucking horrible. It was like, <laughs> the movie was great, actually, which is a weird thing for me to say. It was actually really hilarious. But what was really sad was the audience at the film. Right now we have a really intelligent, awesome audience, and I'm not just trying to like you know jerk you guys off. You guys are great. <laughs> but at 21 Jump Street, it was as if, like, fucking people of Walmart sponsored the screening. I'm not kidding. There were like literally children running around during the Q&A. And at one point, the really devastating moment was when Jonah Hill said, is this what Denver is? And that was a blow 
to us is like the film community, that they thought that all we were were a bunch of, you know, meth heads <laughs> letting our children run free in movie theaters, which is not what we are at all, you know? But the reason being that the, the wrong film crowd was invited, the wrong audience right. was invited to participate. We are that, but we're more than that. Exactly. <laughs> we're, we're, we're a level beyond Breaking Bad. We have Breaking Bad and yeah, yeah. We're the fucking beats. rock stars. We work hard and play hard here, you know? But we get our stuff done. I mean, it was just, it was really sad that that had to be the perception that was put out there as a opposed to like the fact that during the film festival that we have in November, October, um, it's, uh, we get responses where filmmakers say it's the best audience or the best Q&A they've ever had, ever, straight up. And they've been touring the world. So we have that, we have that built-in you know, interest and audience for films here. We just are doing a, we need to you know, put more of that image out there, I guess. Uh, let's talk very quickly because we did just win an Oscar about uh, who sh we should be watching locally and just let's give some kudos to people uh, that, that we're excited about right now. Uh, well, on the smaller screen, but, but truly kind of making a big difference, uh, there are the Mims Brothers and they've actually done some, uh, some commercial spots for... Uh, Denver Film Society uh, for the film festival and also the Nix Brothers who are filming local comedy and uh, local music they are doing some really exciting stuff yeah and I love me some uh, locker partners who are Emily and Mary Grace and then also obviously Daniel Youngie and Alexander Philippe and one who's a little bit more unknown but I think we're going to see a lot from is Benjamin Garst who used to work with us here at the Denver Film Center Colfax doing concession and now he's going on to do a lot of great things in terms of filmmaking. Mm -hmm. So I think, uh, I think maybe our, our, our overall message tonight is to embrace uh, who we are as Denver instead of trying to reject it. Uh, and and also paying more a little bit more attention to what's going on locally as opposed to being so uh, so celebrity driven with with the Hollywood set, right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And if Cuba and the Russians want to fucking come over here, <laughs> fucking Wolverine, we're they're ready. Ass. Yeah. Oh my god. I'm actually really looking forward to this set, right? Because there's going to be a remake. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I want to be an extra. I will be starring in that, by the way. We can be Cubans. Oh, awesome. Yeah, on it. we're Cubans. <laughs> That's because we're ethnic. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for, thanks for coming and listening to our film panel. <laughs> All right, so this is the point in the night when shit gets crazy. As many may know, each week uh, we love or we hate on something about Denver. If you actually listen to the podcast. I think this is more people than actually listen weekly <laughs> to our podcast. So I'm sure there's probably, what, two-thirds don't know what I'm talking about? Or we obsess with, or something we just have to get off our chest, preferably about Denver. We even have a phone number for listeners to leave a message or text. The, it's 720-282-YELL. You can call that and leave a message, or you can text it about whatever you love or hate. But tonight, we invite you guys, the audience members, to use this venue to bitch and moan, or to copulate and celebrate something about Denver. Love, get it? Love. Hey. 
Yeah. Does it have to be that obvious? So, just come up to the mic. Preferably, you know, it's going to be this mic. Preferably in a line. We're going to need someone to pop the cherry. Who's it going to be? Oh, no. Mike. Fine, fine, TV. Pop the cherry. This is my girlfriend. She's a little drunk. And just form a line after Tavy, and you can react. Please try to keep it. It's, it's not your turn yet. Please try to keep it um, to like 30 seconds to a minute, Tavy, and, and the rest of everybody. But form a line after Tavy. I'm not being mean to you. I'm giving you the microphone. Go. Hi. Um, my okay. I have a hate. I'm just gonna say it. I um used to work for a company that used to do wedding invitations. And I'm not going to say that person, but I'm talking about brides who call themselves Colorado brides. And I'm sure a lot of people in here are engaged and say, I'm a Colorado bride and I don't care. But honestly, you guys are bitches. <laughs> because the Colorado bride you know, there are New Jersey brides, there are New York brides, there are Los Angeles brides. And you know what? Vendors know what to expect from those brides. But from Colorado brides, you claim that you're laid back, that you want to wear cowboy boots with your wedding dress. <laughs> you know, that you just want, you're just like, I don't care. I just want to have, I just want everyone to have a good time. And I'm moving to the other side of the world, so I'm allowed to say this, but you guys suck. <laughs> the women who claim that they're Colorado brides. So I just want to say, Colorado brides don't realize that they're bridezillas. <laughs> oh, God, this is embarrassing. Hi, everyone. Hey, hey, everyone. My name's Eric. I don't have as much to say, but it was wonderful. Um, I grew, I learned to drive in LA, then I drove in Las Vegas, Portland, San Francisco, and really a lot of states in between. And I just want to say merge lanes mean merge. <laughs> they don't mean fucking stop all of a sudden and then wait for a spot for you on the freeway. They don't mean cause an accident. They don't mean freak out. They mean go ahead until the lane ends and then merge. That's all I want to say. Please. Pretty please learn how to fucking merge. Thank you. That can't be it. Who, who else? I mean, it's, so far it's only been hate. You got hate, sir? Is that what it is? All right. So my name's Hank. When I first came to Colorado, a good beer was a can of Pabst Blue Ribbon. Okay. Have you drunk it lately? <laughs> anyway, you know, we had a couple of a couple of downer comments as a positive comment was Colorado is first among the world in in craft beer. And I for one being a beer drinker, I'm thankful for that. So life's too short to drink to drink crappy beer. I don't have that much time left in my life, so I got a lot of good beer to drink yet. So Hi, um, 
Uh, do you guys know who like Martin Van Buren was? He was like the eighth president of the United States. <laughs> I, I don't think he was from Colorado or anything, but um, <laughs> no, he wasn't. <laughs> he has an avatar on Twitter, and um, I, I actually ended up here because I, I follow Vanessa on Twitter, and she told me about that. No, there, this, that's not. Not him. But I was really psyched also that Marty Van Buren is like back on Twitter because he disappeared for a really long time. And, um, you know, I like always talk with him, you know, hi, Marty, how's it going? Do you like cats? Oh, yeah, I like little kittens. Well, I don't like uh, Mr. Hayden. You know, he talks about all the politics that was going on like in uh, 18-something. Uh, <laughs> that he's back on Twitter. And, um, and I told him I was so psyched. I was like, oh, my God, you're back on Twitter. And he was like, oh, yes, I, uh, I never publicly um, supported uh, women's suffrage, but I thought about it. <laughs> so I went to another website. And then I came back, and I was like, Marty, is that why you're just a one-term president? And he was horrified. That's all. I'm sorry, that doesn't have anything to do with Colorado. Okay. Somebody else needs to come up. And, and, and while I'm waiting for that, I'm going to say that, uh, you know, this week, the, uh, well, DIA wanted to have graffiti art, street art, as, as part of their underground. And by underground, I mean where they're storing the army. Art. And they had $300,000 to, to use. So they got graffiti artists at all outside of Colorado. Like $300,000 in there all outside of Colorado. The only way to do that is to eliminate immediately people from Colorado. Really, you know? I hate to use this Saturday Night Live. Really? Really? But true. It, I don't know. I mean, it must be like an offense to Colorado. So... Fuck you, DIA, is what I have to say. It's not a love, it's not a hate, it's fuck you. There's lots of uh, graffiti artists in Pueblo who could have used a grand of that 300000 to, d you know, do a panel. So apparently Vanessa is a I'm love or hate. In. I'm jumping in because I have to take back my love that I gave to this project before because I had no idea that it was actually happening. So I have to put it on the record that I no longer love that idea. So Josh explained it, but I, I, I accidentally gave up. I flip-flop. Anybody else love or hate? Like, people are shy. Microphone's scary. Okay. Okay, so, so there are graffiti artists, and artist is put towards graffiti because you make good art that is public, and you do it anywhere. Then there is something called tagging. And that is people who come up with a name or an identity or a persona, and they put it anywhere they possibly can. For those who tag, come up with something a little bit more artistic. And when you tag, think carefully about where you're putting your tag. If you are etching your tag into a men's room stall, it's not probably going to look very good. So what the fuck are you thinking by putting your name where people piss and it looks like shit? Okay? Seriously. For those out there who tag, I would seriously think about, A, where you tag. 
and be what your tag looks like, because some people's tag is pretty poor. So that's my hate. It's nothing against Denver. It's pretty much national. But for those in Denver who are listening, think about what you're doing and how you're putting your name out there. Right, we gotta get, keep it rolling. So, so we heard a little bit about you know the city jettisoning our local artists in graffiti. I, I just want to bring that um, to, to Mario. We heard from Mario tonight, and I think there's no better book for one book, one Denver than the Nymphos of Rocky Flats. So, I think that needs to be campaigned for. Stat. I don't know what the selection process looks like for selecting a book. But support Denver artists, come on. I mean, Hancock, nominate Nymphos of Rocky Flats for the next book that all of Denver reads. Hi, everybody. My name's Rebecca. I'm not really used to being in front of a microphone. Thank you. That was perfect. Um, I'd like to comment on bands and music in the area. I was born and raised in Miami. I also spent five years out in San Francisco, up and down Florida. So that's about it. Um, traveled around in the southeast. Um, so Denver's got really a lot to offer. I think it's really eclectic. Um, anybody here heard of Dressy Bessie? Anybody? Clap. Okay. Anybody here hear of a band called Black Lamb? Okay. Um, I went last week. Well, tomorrow night, I think we're going to go see Is Cali. Anybody hear of Is Cali? It's a Latino rock band. Um, they're really excellent. They're playing at the Walnut Room if you have a chance. I'm kind of crazy. I'm 54 years old. Last week, I was at Moe's to see the AOKs, and I fell down in the mosh pit. So there's a lot to see here. So instead of being on Facebook or online or something, there's plenty of shows that are like 10 bucks, five bucks. Grab a couple of friends, go out and have a couple of beers and see a show, man. There's a lot here. Anybody else? I mean, we, we want to be, you know, open. So. <laughs> I know, I know there's some, somebody sitting on their seat. It's like, eh, maybe if he nags enough. All right. Jared's giving me the... Um, you're going to have to take this up with Jared. He was giving me the circle of the airport. Jared, this love is for you. It's for the Denver Diatribe. Check out their website, denverdiatribe.com. Uh, they do the show live every Friday at 9 in the morning. Uh, check it out, NFN, nfnradio.com. So love to nfnradio.com, love to free speech. Uh, check out freespeech.org and all this craziness. So uh, thank you very much. Well, that was self-serving. I mean, I had that in my closing notes. Well, that's all the love and hate we have for this week. If you have something to say about tonight's topics that we'd like to share of your own love and hate, please leave us a brief message on... Wait, no, that's not one. That is the... I know. Jesus Christ. 
That's actually what I have. That's actually what I have. Please leave us a brief message at 720-282-YELL at 720-282-9355. Tonight's show is ex- executive produced by Ron Doyle, a.k.a. the guy who gets our shit together. Our tech director tonight was Jared Jacong Meyer and their engineer, Julio Mondragon. Thanks so very much to all of our fantastic panelists, to the Onions AV Club, Open Air 1340 Real Social Club in Westward for partnering support. To DJ Leland and C1 of Food Chain, who will be opening for Snoop Dogg Friday at the Fillmore. And, of course, to our sponsors, Denver Film Society, Free Speech TV, Novo Coffee, and Blue Channel. Find all you need to follow a friend, comment, subscribe, and listen at our website, denverdiatribe.com. I've been your host, Josh Johnson. On behalf of my co-hosts, Vanessa Martinez, Joel Warner, and Ron Doyle, thanks for listening. We is out.